Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series on stories associated with Jesus, antidotes and anecdotes. Today we consider the questions, why isn't life fair? Why do good things happen to bad people? Join us now for the message, Getting What We Deserve. and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. I'm Jane Grainer, and I'm the senior pastor. And I'm Wesley McCall, and I'm the music director. A little bit later in our service, we're going to be asking the question, why isn't life fair? Why doesn't God make things fair for everyone? Why do good things happen to bad people? So stay tuned for our message, Getting What We Deserve. And so now let us enter into a spirit of worship and prayer with this centering psalm. From Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. And now for our opening prayer. God of grace and mercy, whether we are lifelong laborers or new arrivals in your vineyard, we know you value us just as we are. God of the last, God of the first, God of all those in between, hear this prayer as we seek your presence in our lives and in a world in need. Amen. And now, even though we cannot be together in the same space, we are together in the same time. So as usual, my prayer for you is peace be with you. Now for our prayer of illumination. Holy God, author of the word made flesh, Open us to your spirit, that as scripture is spoken and your word proclaimed, we may be comforted, convinced, and changed to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. We have two scripture readings this morning. The first comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, 
I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that you do not know shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them out into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same, and at about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. And so he said, You also go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last the same as I give you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, I usually say that I grew up in Fort Worth, but actually I grew up in Haltom City, which is the suburb that's right to the northeast of Fort Worth. But there in Haltom City, we actually lived down the street from a country club, Diamond Oaks Country Club. Now, believe me, this is not as fancy as it sounds. In fact, sometimes we jokingly refer to this country club as the Kmart Country Club because it was not it was it was pretty modest by country club standards. But you know, it really was nice that us kids could just walk down a few houses and there we'd be at the club, and we had a pool there that we can swim during the summer. My dad played golf there every Saturday. My brother and I both learned how to play tennis there at the club. Now, there was another family who also belonged to the club, and they were also members of our church. And they had two boys. One of them was about my age, and the other one was maybe, I don't know, two or three years older. 
And these boys were in youth group with me. Uh, we were with youth group together for many, many years. And they were both a little socially awkward, but they, were, but they were sweet guys and they were funny. But we were always aware that the father was a very strict, a very stern man. And he never seemed to smile. In fact, for that, for that matter, the mother never smiled either because she seemed to be in a perpetual state of fear. We knew to never go to their home because all the father did was scream. What I didn't find out until what I didn't find out until later, and I found this out from my dad, is that none of the other men there in the country club uh, they didn't like that father at all. They had observed they had observed him trying to teach his boys to swim, and they were put off by just how harsh he was with my with his sons, even in public. He would openly belittle and shame the boys. And, you know, shame is not a very good teaching tool. Well, it was years later when we heard the news. The elder son had been arrested for outstanding traffic tickets. And while he was there in the city jail, he took the sheet off the bed and he hung himself. Now, people do not usually hang themselves just because they got too many traffic tickets. Something similar, in fact, happened to another friend of mine in college. She had accumulated so many unpaid traffic tickets that the campus police actually came to her class and arrested her in front of her professor, in front of all her classmates. She was sent off in handcuffs and was sent there to the campus jail where she had to stay until those fines were paid for. Now, was she embarrassed? Of course she was. In fact, she was mortified. Uh, was she in fear of telling her parents what had happened? Of course, her parents were mortified and they were not happy with her at all. Did she consider killing herself? No, not once. In fact, later she turned this all into an hilarious story that actually would have all of us friends on the floor rolling. People do not usually hang themselves because they have outstanding traffic tickets. According to my dad, when the men of the country club found out the elder son had committed suicide, at first they just sat there in silence. And after a while, one of the men said, I guess he just couldn't stand to face that bully of a father one more time. When I heard the news, I asked about the younger son. Oh, he's been homeless for years. No one even knows how to get a hold of him. How is it that two boys who grew up in an upper middle class neighborhood whose family was affluent enough to belong to a country club, who went to church every Sunday, who were active members of the youth group, how did these two boys come to such tragic ends? The deepest wounds are the ones we cannot see. People can look fine on the outside, and yet on the inside, they harbor broken hearts and broken minds and broken souls. We never know the baggage that haunts some people. We don't know their story or what they've been through. For all we know, they may have grown up with an abusive bully of a father. And when people are wounded and broken on the inside, then the choices they make on the outside 
can seem baffling. Why does she keep going back to that abusive husband? Why does he blow his paycheck every week on liquor? Why does she just keep racking up higher and higher credit card balances on things she doesn't need? Why would someone hang themselves over unpaid traffic tickets? Why do people make poor life choices? Well, the reasons, of course, they're very complex. Uh, the most common reason, though, is that someone in their past, someone who was supposed to be caring for them, someone who was supposed to be looking after them, that person made poor life choices. My friend's father decided to be mean and abusive, so the sons were damaged, and th their damage resulted in poor life choices. But that father probably had someone who abused him, someone who was supposed to be looking out for him and for his best interest, and so he was left damaged. A few years ago, a study came out that examined children's ability to endure delayed gratification and it was based on a classic psychological study that I remember uh, studying about when I was a psychology major in college. Now, in the classic study, an adult would lead a child into a room that was full of toys, and there would be a marshmallow there on the counter. And the researcher would say to the child that he or she had a choice. They could either eat the marshmallow now, or they could hold off until the researcher returned. If they managed to hold off till then, then they could get two marshmallows. And then the researcher would leave the room for about 15 minutes. Well, as you can imagine, some children went over to the counter and they wolfed down that marshmallow the moment the researcher closed the door. Other children tried to hold out against temptation, but they just couldn't quite do it. And they ended up eating the marshmallow before the researcher returned. Other kids were able to hold off, even though they might keep looking over at that marshmallow and checking the door to see if the researcher was coming, but yet they managed not to eat the marshmallow. And then there were kids that just turned and started playing with the toys and didn't seem distracted at all until the researcher came back. As you might expect, the children who were able to resist eating the marshmallow, who were able to delay gratification, they grew up to be adults that generally made good life choices. And the children who went ahead and ate the marshmallow grew up to be adults who generally made poor life choices because they could not delay gratification. Now that was the classic study. The new study that came out just a few years ago went back and examined the backgrounds of the children who were part of that classic study. It ends up that the children who were able to delay gratification tended to grow up in homes where there was stability and continuity. Life followed a schedule and adults did what they said that they would do. Children unable to delay gratification tended to grow up in chaotic homes where there was no set schedule. They were often in poverty. Adults acted erratically and didn't always follow through on what they had promised there may or may not be food available later on. The children who abstained from eating the marshmallow lived in a world where adults kept their promises. <clears throat> if the researcher said that he would be back in a few minutes with two marshmallows, 
that they believed that the researcher would be back in a few minutes with two marshmallows. It was safe to wait. The children who ate the marshmallows, however, lived in a world where adults acted erratically. The researcher may or may not come back later. He may or may not bring back two marshmallows. It's even possible that the researcher might come back and take away the one marshmallow that was there. It was better to eat it now because it wasn't safe to wait. If you think about it, both approaches actually make very logical sense if you consider the environment in which the child grew up. So what does all this mean? It means that understanding why some people make bad life choices, whether it's abusive parents or mental illness, an erratic household, chronic poverty, whatever it is, if we can understand that, then that can lead us to a place of compassion instead of judgment. It can lead us then to a state of grace. Over the years, I've had many people say that they really do not like this parable of Jesus and the laborers in the vineyard. This parable really ends up bothering them because in their eyes, it seems so unfair. The laborers who sweated all day long, whose backs were now aching in pain, they were paid the same as someone who only came in and worked for one hour? Come on, what's fair about that? People who work hard, who play by the rules, make good life choices, take responsibility for themselves, they can really get ticked off, and for good reason, with deadbeats and loafers who, take it, who seem to get advantages that they didn't earn. You know, doing the right thing should come with some sort of reward. I mean, shouldn't it? The grapes in the vineyards of Palestine became ripe in late September. Uh, workers only had a few weeks to work the harvest until the fall rains came. So during those few weeks, laborers would work 12-hour days hauling in the grapes. Not unlike today, day laborers were at the bottom of the labor food chain. Men would gather early in the marketplace at around 6 a.m. Then the vineyard owners would come and hire the laborers that they needed for that day. Now, the typical wage for a full day's work for unskilled laborers was one denarius, a denarius being a silver Roman coin. A denarius would feed you and maybe your family for one day, but that was about all. It was subsistence wages. In Jesus' parable, a landowner goes out to the marketplace at six in the morning to hire some day laborers to work his vineyard, and he agrees to pay them one denarius for one day's work. The landlord uh, hires several laborers who, for that agreed upon price, at nine o'clock, the landowner goes out again to hire laborers, and he says he'll pay them whatever is right. He goes out at noon, hires more, and again at three, and hiring still more laborers, and just saying that he's going to give them whatever is right. Then at five o'clock, the landowner goes out yet again into the marketplace, and there he finds others standing around, and he asks them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they say to them, because no one has hired us. Then he says to him, you also, you go into the vineyard. He doesn't even offer to pay them anything. He just tells them to go out into the vineyard. Then at six o'clock, just one hour later, the working day, day ends and the laborers gather around to get paid. 
And the law stipulated that a day laborer's wage had to be given him that day so that he would be able to uh, go and buy something to eat for that evening. So the landowner lines them up in the reverse, reverse order, rather, the reverse order in which he has hired them with the most recently hired being the first to be paid and the earliest hired to be the last that were paid. And the landowner ends up paying them all, all the laborers, the same daily wage of one denarius. And those who were hired early in the day thought this was most unfair and complained bitterly. And to this, the landowner replied, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs with you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? That last phrase, are you envious because I am generous? I think that is the most provocative verse in the entire parable. And it gets the crux of the matter. Are we going to be envious because God chooses to be generous? The mistake we make is to believe that we have earned or could ever earn the blessings that God has poured out upon us. All of us laborers in the kingdom of God, we receive from God out of God's limitless grace. And because God loves all, then all are invited into the kingdom, even at that very last hour. And those of us who've been around since six or nine in the morning, we should rejoice at God's good generosity. But if this is the case, we may ask, then why try and be good? Why not just lead our lives any way we want to, making bad decisions all along the way, and just plan on making that last-minute deathbed conversion? I mean, we're going to receive the same gift of eternal life either way, right? Well, I would suggest that there is every advantage to being one of God's long-term laborers. First of all, you never know. You might die suddenly and never get a chance to make that last-minute deathbed conversion. Uh, but there are other very good reasons as well. Consider the laborers that the landowner hired early in the day. Instead of wondering all day long if they or their families would even have something to eat that night, they worked all day long in the security that they will be able to provide. They will be able to have their daily bread. In contrast, the laborers hired late in the day would have spent most of the day in a heightened state of anxiety. Moreover, the laborers that were hired late in the day were essentially, they were the leftovers. The young, the strong, the healthy, they were the ones that were hired first, leaving the old, the very young, and the less than healthy to fend for themselves. Likewise, those of us who've been Christians for years, maybe even for our entire lives, we've spent years now enjoying our relationship with God and our relationships with our church family. And because of these relationships, we have been able to make better decisions with our lives and have therefore been able to reap the rewards of a happier, more stable, and less stressed life. 
being able to be in relationship with God and to have the privilege to work for the kingdom, that in itself is its own reward. Making good life choices is in and of itself its own reward. Those of, uh, those of us who make poor life decisions aren't getting away with something. Such people usually live very stressed lives dealing with the consequences of their actions. And at the end of the day, if we all receive the same wage, well, you know, I'm okay with that because my life with God in the vineyard has been nothing but a blessing. I'm not going to judge those who've made poor life choices they wouldn't be making those choices if they hadn't at some point been wounded in their lives. If I'm able to make good life choices, it's because I have been given so much. I've been given a stable home and a loving family and a wealth of great opportunities. And the fact that I've been given a stable home and a loving family and a wealth of good opportunities, that meant that even on those occasions when I made less than an optimal decision about my life, I rarely had to suffer any truly significant repercussions or consequences because my privilege protected me. My ability to make good life choices is in and of itself a gift that I did not earn. And, and I want to repeat that again because I think it's so important. Our ability to make good life choices is in and of itself a gift that we did not earn, it was given to us by those who went before. Life is not fair. My friends from the youth group didn't deserve an abusive father. Children do not deserve to live in erratic households. Children do not deserve to live in poverty. Life is not fair. But before I get upset or resentful, when I see people receiving blessings from God that I don't think they earned, then I have to remember that, yes, life is unfair, but 90% of the time, that has worked out in my favor. I have been very blessed. And just as life isn't fair, in a way, God isn't fair, at least not from a human point of view. God spreads that grace about to just anybody, whether we approve of them or not. God isn't fair. But God is just, and God is merciful. If we struggle to understand that justice and that mercy, if we struggle to understand why God is generous, if we struggle with the fact that God never quits inviting sinners to the vineyard, then remember, as God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. People, including ourselves, don't always get what they deserve. And frankly, for most of us, that's good news. Because no matter how well you have lived your life, there is eventually going to become some day when we need the grace to be invited back into the vineyard. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he is near.
Amen. And now with the confidence that we all have as the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Don't forget about the September rail offering, communion rail offering going to the UMCOR Afghanistan Fund. Don't forget that next Sunday is communion Sunday. So have that bread and either grape juice or wine ready for us to celebrate the sacrament of communion. And so your action item for this week, don't work for a world that is fair, work for a world that is just. And now receive this benediction. Go out into a world this week where you experience the grace and mercy of God and where you are invited into the vineyard. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love your neighbor and go in peace. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us next Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. We'll continue our sermon series on the stories of Jesus. If you can't join us live, you can always listen to the recording of our service. You'll find that on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.